Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Broken, Transformed, Restored. This is going to be a little bit of a different episode today. Um, this one is still going to continue on our series of uh, establishing Christian habits, but this one is mainly going to be focusing on my point of view of something that I strongly believe not only needs to be established Christian habits, but you'll be surprised how lacking it is within our churches. And uh, it's going to be a little more of a somber podcast. I don't don't have the regular intro, don't have that. I just kind of want to get straight into it because this is uh, a topic that really hits home for me. And my wife and I have been personally affected by this. And so I wanted to kind of just go and talk a little bit about this topic. Um, Establishing Christian habits, encouraging and supporting your preacher. As a former minister, which if you're not familiar with my resume, so to speak, about when it comes to preaching, Um, From December 2012 to December 2013, I preached part-time at the um, Gooch Church of Christ in Pocahontas, Tennessee. Um, I'm so thankful for that congregation. They were very encouraging, very supportive, um, especially to a young guy who is trying to learn how to preach as he is in preaching school. I had not had much experience before going to Memphis, and so they provided me a lot of valuable experience, and a lot of my sermons that I sent off for tryouts came from when I preached at Gooch. I would bring my laptop, uh, and I bought this microphone, which I still have that microphone. I don't use it now, which I might be using it in the future, though, but um, I bought this uh, microphone, and I had it set up in the back, and I would record it, have it recording me preaching. And most of my sermons came from that. And uh, most of my sermons came from that. And that I sent out to try out, and as well as a couple that came from when I preached at my home congregation at Lithia Springs, mainly because uh, they had better audio as far as to pick me up better. So every time I sent out um, a sermon, which I always sent out two sermons, I sent out a sermon that I'd done more recently at Gooch. And I also sent out a sermon that I did at Lithia Springs, one of my better sermons I did at Lithia Springs. And so I'd always send those out. And, uh, and, and a lot of people have heard those sermons. I'm assuming they did. <laughs> anyway, I applied to a lot of places. And I, uh, I enjoyed that work, um, even though it was part time, and only, and even though on a good Sunday, we had twelve people on a good Sunday. Usually, it was around seven to nine, roughly. So, very, very small crowd. And biggest crowd we ever had is when they did a homecoming, I believe. Uh, and we packed that building like we. I think we had over a hundred, <laughs> and so that was a pretty fun time. And preaching for that. Um, preaching for them when that when they had that homecoming, it was pretty fun and, and it was pretty nice because I actually got a chance to 
kind of get my name a little bit to some connections to to those that are from Freed because there were a lot of people in from Henderson, Tennessee that came that I did not realize had a connection with this congregation. <laughs> so that was kind of a little bit of a shock to me. But the process of trying out, which I kind of want to talk a little bit about that. We do not often talk about the whole process and the tiresome process it is to try out and trying to find a congregation to preach, to preach for. For those of you not familiar with the Churches of Christ, uh, Churches of Christ, we strive to follow the biblical example of biblical autonomy. This means that um, we do not have a headquarters. Um, we do not see anywhere in the New Testament that there is an example of having a headquarters. Each congregation was autonomous, meaning that each congregation was in charge of their own affairs. And with that mindset of being autonomous, um, which it's a blessing because it does mean that just because one congregation is doing something does not mean that your congregation has to do it. So local autonomy is a great thing. But at the same time, it does present challenges with local autonomy. Um, a, one of the big challenges is searching for a preacher or a preacher trying to find a work. Because in places that um, denominations, uh, especially if you think about the Baptists and the Methodists, um, preachers are assigned to churches. So they pretty much are guaranteed to have a church and they're pretty much guaranteed a salary because I might be mistaken on this. So if you are familiar with how any denomination does this and I'm getting it wrong, please let me know. But um, to give you, my, give you an idea, um, since they are sent out by headquarters, it really does not matter the size of the church because if I'm not mistaken, I believe that even though a portion of the salary is supported by that congregation that they're working at, um, I do believe that the majority of their income is coming from an overall pool that's within that denomination. So pretty much have a steady paycheck. I may be wrong on that, but that's what I've heard and that's what I have seen. And I know that there might be some branches that of certain denominations that do that and some branches that don't. But the idea I'm trying to get across is that in the Churches of Christ, we do not have those automatic placements. It is work trying to find a congregation in which, again, this is not a criticism of local autonomy because, again, there is no biblical example of a headquarters and directing out orders. We do have examples of scripture when they did convene in Jerusalem to discuss issues that were affecting many congregations across the region and across the world with issues such as circumcision and other Jewish uh, traditions and customs that understandably at the time might have not had some clarity on what exactly to do with these, especially with transitioning from Judaism into Christianity. But at the same time, that was not some decree that came out and said, okay, no longer will we do this. And this decree was mandated for all churches to follow. That's not how it worked. Now, um, 
there was a bigger chance that all the congregations did follow um, things that were agreed upon, but it was up to the congregations themselves, their elderships, their leaderships, to make those changes or to implement things. And so that's about the closest thing we have that we see in scripture. So applying is a very difficult process because you have to first remember all the websites that you can look to go find places that are hiring for preachers in which there's a lot of great websites. But the thing about the websites is that sometimes and this is nothing and this is not to uh, knock or to uh, what's the word? I'm not trying to shame website operators because I ran websites not even nowhere as complex as some of these uh, websites that post uh, ministry jobs. And let me tell you, it's a lot of work. So I understand that they're not going to be uh, always able to do what I'm about to say. So this is not a knock on them. This is just saying this is just an overall problem. The websites are not always updated. A lot of times they are updated with new information, but congregations don't often get back with these places to let them know if they have found somebody. And the only reason that they might do that is if they are still getting a lot of resumes from people because they're realizing that their postings are everywhere. So it's about the only time that you might have a consideration for someone to say, oh man, we need to take down a posting. So we have that issue. And not only that, but then there's another struggle you got to have as well. The requirements of a preacher. And when I say requirements, which there are some requirements, most of them have the same requirements and most of them are pretty reasonable or feasible things that you would expect from a preacher. However, there are some that expect you to literally be the preacher and the elder and literally the entire eldership yourself. And which that is definitely something that needs to be avoided. But when I think about requirements, I'm not just referring to these things that is required of the preacher, but I also think about as far as the education is concerned. Um, when I was leaving Deming and trying to find another congregation to work with, I was so limited on where I could apply to because so many places were wanting a four-year degree from an uh, quote-unquote accredited accredited. Church of Christ University. Some didn't even care if it was a Church of Christ University. They just wanted a four-year degree from accredited from a accredited accredited school. Um, I feel like I'm saying that word wrong. Accredited? Maybe it's accredited instead of accredited. Accredited. Accredited school. I think that's the word. <laughs> and I just said accredited like 15 times. Now, if if I, if, if, if I find out that accredited is the right way to say that, I, I'm just, I'm just going to say I give up. This <laughs> so, what the <laughs> but they want accredited schools, and which I went to Memphis School of Preaching, which great school, got four years of education in two years, and I left with lots of biblical knowledge. But it is crazy that there are more and more places that are not accepting preaching schools anymore. So that automatically shrunk a lot of options I had for me. And so 
that's always a stressor. And then you kind of have this mindset. And this is not just with me, but I know of a lot of classmates that I have gone to school with, both in my current year, the previous year, and the year before, um, year before me, that a, a lot of them have went back to school or went and gotten extra education. I don't know why on their personal reasons as to why they went back to get their education, but I know a lot of them that have gotten education in biblical studies and and degrees that relate it to Bible. I, to a degree, feel like it's not just only for adding and trying to gain more knowledge, but also for career opportunities because less and less places are accepting preaching schools. And then some that don't accept preaching schools, they want you to they say you either need to have an accredited um, degree or five to 10 years experience. And that was one reason that I stayed at Deming for five years, because um, a lot of people don't know this, but Cressy and I had considered leaving Deming around the third year we were in Deming. Um, we considered leaving Deming because it was just a lot of factors and nothing that was too crazy bad, but we just felt like that we weren't the right people for evangelizing to this community, especially a community that's largely Hispanic. And one of the criticisms I've had with the congregation is why don't, why haven't you hired someone who's at least bilingual because Matthew 28 um, 19 and 20 makes it very clear, you know, where to go into all nations or to all people. And Mark 16, verse 15, you know, you're supposed to reach to all people, all of creation. But there was a desire not to do that. And so I just felt like that we were limited on what we could do because there was no way that we had the resources to reach those that did not speak English. And so around year three, we were already thinking about leaving. But as I started looking, there was a lot of places that were wanting a lot of years of experience. But the minimum I kept seeing was five years, five years. So I told Chrissy, well, at least we need to stay here for at least five years so we can have experience to be able to leave. Now, I want to make something clear. Did we say this in year three and had the mindset to leave the entire time until five years have passed? No. We changed our minds multiple times about staying, leaving, staying, leaving, staying, leaving. And when we got to year five, um, or close to year five, or we were approaching year five rather, we still was having the mindset of staying. But then we had a lot of crazy things happen in 2019 that just swayed us into our decision that it is time for us to leave. And so, and I'm just bringing all of this up because there's times that we don't take in consideration that, um, and don't be wrong, some requirements make sense, like the ability to preach Sunday morning and a second service that that congregation has one, Bible class, Wednesday night Bible class, even though I do think that other People should be teaching Bible class other than just a preacher all the time. But still, that's not an unreasonable expectation to ask of us to do. And moral qual qualities, you know, and good character. Like those things are reasonable and understandable and why they're being asked um, for why they want these qualities. That makes sense. But there's some qualities that, for instance, um, I, I remember one that said that they were in charge that they were to take care of uh, building maintenance. I'm like, whoa, okay, so 
Do they want a handyman or a preacher? <laughs> you can't get both. I mean, you can get both, and there are preachers that are handymen. I'm a handyman to a degree, but I can't do complex things that this um, place was asking for. And so you have this whole process that's a headache to deal with. And then on top of that, and I want to speak directly to congregations themselves, elderships or leaderships. And I say leaderships because I also know there's a lot of places that don't have elders that are searching for preachers. And I'm going to say this loud and clear. Even if you have over 100 applicants that are trying to get the job at your congregation, if you have selected a few or have selected a person, get back with each of those 99 others or 95 others, if you narrowed it down to five, let's just use that number, narrow it down to five, get back with the other ones. Even if it takes a couple of weeks to do, at least send a text or an email telling them that they are no longer in the running for it. I cannot tell you when the, the two, actually three times, the three times I was searching for work, I sent, this past time was not as many, but when I was, uh, before I got hired at Deming and when I was leaving Deming, I sent somewhere in the neighborhood of 60 resumes. I've had 10 congregations contact me back each time. Uh, roughly 10, I'll say average 10. And when I say contact me back, I'm not saying like any contact at all. So let me clarify. When I say contact me back, like they contacted me back to let me know that I was no longer in the running or they picked someone else or we did not see that you would be a good fit for our congregation. So that's what I mean by contact me back. I've had way more than 10 that at least talked to me and say that or thanked me for sending in my resume and we'll get back with you. And a lot of them never did. But I only had about 10 that like officially let me know. And it was nice because I get to check those off my list. I don't have this hope of like, hey, I can wait for this place and then find out that there's sometimes where I find on, I literally go to the website because I'll send two or three more emails asking for updates, never get reply. And then I find on their YouTube page or their Facebook page that they hired somebody and I'm just fuming and I'm just want to pull my hair out. What little hair I have that is. <laughs> but, I just want to pull my hair out because just the fact that they have the audacity to act like a company, which does not, I'm not saying there's anything wrong in acting like a company, but they want to act like a company when it comes to hiring, but they don't want to act like a company when it comes to giving the feedback once they have hired somebody, once they have gotten someone in. It's like no professional company would do that. And a lot of people try to run these churches like professional companies in which I'm, and I'm not saying that that's necessarily a right thing. Um, but they kind of have this mindset that this is what a church is, but then they don't even run that properly, so to speak, and running in the terms of handling the day-to-day -day affairs. So I spent a good amount of time talking about just the application process, but I want to talk about that because I just want search committees and elders to think about these things and to keep in mind that it is very stressful for the preacher that's trying to find another worker, trying to find their first work. We need to do better. There needs to be a better job done. There are many congregations that do a great job and I appreciate those, but 
Most congregations need to do better. Now let's move on to the actual work of the preacher. Um, many people don't know this, but being a preacher, and my wife did an excellent job in covering a lot of this in a blog that she's done on not too long ago. You should check out her blog. I'll post a link to that blog in the uh, description of this uh, or in the podcast notes of this podcast episode. But uh, being a preacher and a preacher's wife is one of the loneliest jobs in the world. Yes, we have God and God is on our side, especially if we are in the right. But it's a very lonely job. Which I will say this, um, there are some families, uh, thinking back at my time at Ninth Street, that have done amazing things for us. Um, I remember our first Thanksgiving, we were in New Mexico, and really appreciate the Andersons and inviting us over for Thanksgiving, which we went to Thanksgiving twice to their house, and so that was uh, pretty nice. And, and uh, we've been invited to different people's houses for Thanksgiving because we usually didn't go down for Thanksgiving. We usually, um, you know, uh, went down to Georgia, went to Georgia on Christmas. That was the main holiday we tried to come back for. So, um, so we've had a lot of families that did that for us. And, and, uh, and I remember the Clarkson taking us in for Christmas because we didn't go home the first year that we were there because we didn't want to take a vacation that early. And plus, I don't think I had too many vacation days anyway, since that was in my first year. So we just, uh, just decided to, we'll go, we decided we'll go home for Christmas next year, the following year. So we did that. But, um, there's three other families I will say that I absolutely love and appreciate them because, um, they did a lot to help us not feel as lonely. Um, I want to thank Carol Rose. Um, she was pretty great and she had, she has done quite a bit and having us over for stuff that's not church related and help us feel a little bit like we had a family. Um, Christy Reeder and her family, um, you know, it was always nice going over there and spending time with them and um, just being able to have the the ability to do things that's not church related and actually feel like we have some friends outside of church. And, uh, and probably biggest one I want to give this to is to Melanie Becker and her family. Um, Melanie has been a tremendous help to us and tremendous help to me and what she's the creative assistant of my other podcast. I had to put in the plug for that one, Life After School. <laughs> um, but um, she she kind of developed into one of our closest friends and um, definitely one of my closest friends and I just appreciate everything she's done and Helping us feel like that we actually are family, at which we are family. And having a close friend like that, it just means the world, especially when you're in this job of being a preacher. When um, you're put on such a high pedestal that you can't be human around most people. And that leads to my next point. Um, expect preachers to be human. Now, don't get me wrong. If preacher's done something super major that requires major consequences, I completely get that. But the unfortunate truth is most preachers I know that got fired, they did not get fired over something major. They got fired over something small. and Or something small that got blown up into something bigger than it should have been. And that's really sad. 
it's really sad to think about because preachers don't deserve that. Congregations don't deserve that. Um, more and more preachers are leaving the ministry. And this is going to sound harsh, but the incompetence of not knowing how to support and treat preachers is one of the big reasons why so many ministers are leaving the ministry. We're put on such high pedestals, and anytime we make a small little mistake, boom, we get jumped on, and we, uh, you know, we're supposed to be better than that. Um, my last congregation that we were at, um, I talked a little bit about this, I believe, on this podcast. I don't remember how much detail I went into it, but you know, I got in some financial trouble. Um, I made a lot of bad financial mistakes, a lot of bad financial mistakes. It was really high cost of living to live in the town we were in in Lyman, Colorado. It was very high. I mean, we were making 40000 before taxes, and we were struggling bad to live in that town. So we're just, uh, we're struggling bad. And then on top of that, I had debt from Deming that I needed to pay off, and that it had to be pay off, paid off as soon as possible. So I'm struggling with that, getting behind on rent. So I made a lot of bad financial mistakes and a lot of financial problems. And so I'm in no way saying that I was innocent and you know completely innocent in the things that happened there. But the thing that kind of bothered me, though, is that I knew of members who were in worse financial predicaments and it was no problem for them to help. And not only that, but I had some members that had the nerve to look at me and say, it's not that expensive to live here. And I wanted to say something so bad. And I think I actually did, but I wanted to say it more angrily than I did in that meeting. And, and that was the first time in my entire career as a preacher that I felt I felt so unsupportive. And I know, and at that time we talked, Chrissy and I talked about whether we were going to leave there or not because we just wasn't sure what exactly was our options because we was kind of curious to know like what was the quote-unquote solution they were going to have to this. And at first I was against the idea of a budget, but I was thinking, you know, they are paying me. They are investing in me to do the work of a preacher. So I get that. So I completely understand, um, you know, wanting some accountability for the funds. And I and, and so I was under that mindset, I can deal with a budget. I can deal with a little more oversight. That's that's not an issue because, again, they're investing in me. So I, I was willing to make that compromise. But some of the things that they mentioned that they wanted to do went so far and such an invasion of privacy and even illegal. I still haven't found out if what they were wanting was legal or not, but I'm pretty sure it was illegal. All I know is I sent those that list of demands, didn't type anything, didn't edit them. I send the list of things they want me to agree to from here on out. I sent it to a lot of elderships that I had some connections with and asked for their opinions on what to do. And you know it's bad when every eldership I asked, regardless of their theological preference, some were very progressive, some were very conservative. Every one of them and in between all said the same thing. 
you need to leave now. And that's the first time that they all actually agreed on something. So when you have that many elderships that are not even, don't even recognize each other, or, or especially maybe some of the more conservative ones may not recognize the regressive ones as true churches of Christ, but they all are, are in agreement on this, that was a huge sign that I made the right choice to resign. Because I did that. I already decided in my mind I was going to resign, but I wanted just some clarification and make sure I just wasn't, you know, overthinking this. And they definitely confirmed I was not overthinking this at all. So that's, um, so the, the thing, the reason I bring that up is that, is this crazy? Is this felt so unsupportive? I felt like that I was put on such a high pedestal that when I did make the mistakes and made me, and that's the thing about preachers, we're put on such a high pedestal. And I even think that to a degree, I think members kind of see us as maybe like a representation of God when they see us in the pulpit. So when we mess up, we get criticism hard. Um, and Deming, I, you know, I had a teenager who, uh, Anytime I messed up, she was quick to say, you're a preacher. You should know better, blah, blah. You know, and she would say that a lot. And her mom would just sit there and let her say that to me. And you had no idea how badly I wanted to say, I'm also human. This is also my first work. This, there, I am going to make a lot of mistakes. And you need to show me grace, which I didn't really want to say that to her. I really wanted to say it, really wanted to say it to her mom and to other family members because I really wanted to say, how dare you just look down your nose at me when other members are making, some might be making the same mistakes, some might be making worse mistakes, but I don't see them jumping down their throats. There's things I've seen them do in worship and other places outside of worship that I could easily say, how dare you? But I don't because I show grace. I show grace. We get criticized. We get discouraged. We get dragged through the mud. And I know I'm not... I'm not painting preaching in a pretty light right now, but I'm not trying to paint it in a pretty light. It's an ugly mess. But it's the ugly mess that God uses to persuade mankind. It's the ugly mess because it's not the preacher that's ugly. It's the mess that we walk into that's ugly. It's a very emotional podcast for me. I hate talking about my time in ministry at times because there were a lot of good things, I will say. Um, despite some of the issues that Chrissy and I had in Deming, I will say that that congregation for this 24-year-old preacher that they hired right out of school, and the only preaching experience he has is in school, they took a big risk with me. And man, they supported a lot of decisions that I wanted to do. And for that, I'll forever be grateful. 
Night Street, I'm forever thankful for you taking that chance on me. There's a lot of things that went good, a lot of things that went bad, and a lot of things that just happened to land in between. But without Night Street, I wouldn't be where I am today. Without Night Street, I wouldn't have met one of um, one of my closest friends that I have today. Without Night Street, I wouldn't have grown and wouldn't have been able to test the ideas that I wanted to try at a congregation for years. And so I'm forever thankful for Night Street, despite the issues. Despite that, though, we need to do better treating our preachers. We got to support them. They're lonely. They feel like that there's not really too many people in the congregation they can talk to. There's times where preachers need to vent and try to, and they just need to let out, let some energy out, let some negativity out, in which for preachers that are listening to this, I strongly encourage you, even if you don't have the money, do everything you can to find you a psychiatrist to talk to or a counselor that you can talk to at least once every couple of months, because look out for your mental health, because, and I hate to say this, well, I will say this, many congregations are getting better at this, and I applaud those congregations and thankful for those congregations, I really am, but there are still so many congregations where the mental health of the preacher is not only a low priority, but sometimes not even a priority at all, because they expect us preachers to be superman, they expect us to do everything, to always have the energy, to always have a smile on our face, for their wives to always have a smile on our face, that when we are yelled at, when we are criticized, when we are called names, when we are demeaned, and when all of that happens, we're expected to just stand there and take it with a smile, and we cry ourselves to sleep on Sunday night because we are fed up, but we also know that we are above that, and we will do our best not to have a personal vendetta, and trust me, Sometimes we do have personal vendettas. There are times where I, and I prayed to God for forgiveness on this, and I still feel guilty about this, but there are times where I have gone in the pulpit with the wrong mindset just so to preach at somebody, and that is the wrong thing. That's not to say that I shouldn't have addressed it. I should have addressed it, but the pulpit is not the way to address every issue. I should have addressed it one-on-one. I've done that a couple times. Why? Because it was just, sometimes it just gets overbearing. One of the biggest problems I have always faced at almost every congregation I've been at is no one likes change. And I, um, and this is not the pick on older people. I know everyone loves to say older people don't like change and all that. And it's like, that is a stereotype. And there are a lot of older people that don't like change. But at the same time, um, it wasn't just older people that had issues with change. I had a lot of older people that embraced change that I, that I brought to congregations and trying to help us and to get better in our Christianity and our spiritual walk. They embraced it and welcomed it. But I've met members, both young and old, that hated the change. 
that they wanted things to stay the status quo because they have gotten so used to the preacher doing everything that they forgot that everything they put on the preacher, God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit expects every Christian to do those things, not just the minister. But we have gotten so lazy in American Christianity and we have got we have let America we have let the world change how we see Christianity so much that if the preacher don't meet the expectation, if the preacher don't have so many baptisms, if the preacher don't have so many Bible studies, if the preacher himself is not bringing people in just by his preaching alone, then they are considered a failure when that is the metric Satan wants us to measure our churches by. Satan is the one that wants us to measure our metrics by numbers. Do not get me wrong. Numbers are important. I get that. I'm not advocating against growth. We need physical growth. But we, but Satan has done a great job in making us think that physical growth is more important than spiritual growth. You know how many congregations tell preachers, especially if they have two services, that they want the Sunday morning sermon to be for visitors. They want it to be this hard-hitting sermon that's trying to bring people to Christ. You know, they pretty much want us to try to get every visitor that comes through the door baptized on that Sunday they come in and they tell them Sunday night, that's just for the members. You don't have to do a similar sermon for that. In which uh, one of our instructors, Billy Bland, he said something that always stuck with me in school. He says, because he's known congregations that's done that and that still do that. And he said, the worship was never intended for the visitor. The visitor can come. The visitor can participate as far as singing with us and the other things that we do and worship with the rest of those that are there. But he says, we are not there to entertain visitors. It is a personal experience between the Christian and his God and her God. Between the Christian and our God. It is our personal way of showing God we love him. So the sermon does not always on Sunday morning have to try to convince every visitor or every person in your audience that's not baptized into the water because that's not just the work for worship. If anything, what you find interesting, most conversions happen outside of worship. If you look in the book of Acts, most conversions happen outside of worship. Simple as that. We need to stop focusing on numbers in a negative way. Let's not focus on numbers in a negative way. Again, not advocating against growth. We need numbers. We need people to come. We need to baptize people. But on that same note of baptism, I find it interesting that some congregations will be so pleased to say, we have had 50 baptisms. But then if you ask them, where are they at? The number's still the same. Uh, did I say we have 50 baptisms? And, and that's the thing they don't realize is that preachers are supposed to help with spiritual growth. And not just preachers, but elderships too. Bible school teachers. Even the member that doesn't do either, they're expected to grow in the scripture. You know what's kind of crazy? The Bible demands that we have a relationship with God. 
not only demand, but we should want to have a personal relationship with God. And not only with the blessingness, the blessedness we have of having the Holy Spirit, but also delving, delving into the word of God. We literally get to see the mind of God within scripture. But yet we treat the Bible as if it's just another book on the shelf. We don't, or is this an app that doesn't get open as much as Facebook or TikTok or YouTube or um, Instagram or Twitter? We severely underuse the Bible. Say what you want about Jews and say what you want about Muslims. But let me tell you something. It is looked very unfavorable in both religions to not have a daily routine and knowing either in Judaism, the Torah, and in the Islam, the Quran. But yet we claim to be Christians because we come Sunday morning, we do our singing, we do our praying, we listen to the sermon, we stop listening halfway through because it's not the topic we want to hear. We only listen to the preacher when it's a topic that they want to hear and want to hear discuss. And that's what we've turned Christianity in our country into. We've turned it into how many people we can attract by our worship instead of how many people can we grow closer to God through our daily worship. Um, I think I'm going to need a part two to this because I'm already at 40 minutes. <laughs> so um, a part two is coming next week. I'm going to finish kind of talking about the things that I was talking about today and kind of bring up some other, and I want to talk about some things of how you can encourage your local preacher. So there'll be a part two next week. Thank you all again for listening. Sorry, this was a little more somber than uh, my usual topics, but it's a topic that needed to be discussed. Um, thank you. You all have a good rest of your day. Good rest of your week. God bless.